Jude, verse 3. <clears throat> Let's read it together, shall we? Pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Jude, verse 3, the Word of God says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd give us insight tonight into this powerful verse and really into this phrase that we'll be investigating. And I I ask that you'd give me the words to say, give me clarity of mind and heart, and Lord, that you would speak through this weak vessel to teach us something that, that we desperately need to know about you and your work and the faith which you have given to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's nice to have the Master Club folks in here this evening. I sure do miss you all uh, during the, the school year. And I look forward to having the summer with you <clears throat> before we jump back into to Master Club. I wanted to do a little series on add to your faith. We did that years ago, probably 17, 18 years ago. I hadn't been here very long. And <clears throat> we want to talk about that. But before we get into adding to our faith, we have to first think about what is the faith. What are we supposed to add to? Now, we'll, t- we'll get to your faith later, but tonight I want to talk about this idea, not, not necessarily what is faith. <clears throat> faith is the, your, the estimation of your personal confidence in God. So think about that. So if you were to put faith on a scale of zero having none to ten having all faith, you personally are somewhere on that scale for your personal faith. So your faith is a, your estimation of your personal faith in God. doesn't matter how much I believe God, it matters how much you believe God. So we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But the Bible uses the phrase, the faith. Before you can have your faith, you need to have the faith and understand the faith. And that phrase, the faith, is used in 43 verses in your King James Bible. So this is a common theme, all found in the New Testament, the faith. So in our verse here, we have Jude being inspired of God to write about the faith. For example, another famous verse, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He didn't say, I have kept my faith, he said, I've kept the faith. So there's a difference between the faith and my faith. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 2 says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. 
And so the Bible talks about the faith. Now, now what is the faith? And tonight I just want to give you a quick introduction to this thought. And then when I get back uh, two weeks from today, we will, on Wednesday night, we're really going to dive into this. And I really want you to try to be faithful for the remainder of the summer on Wednesday nights. Because I think that this idea of, of adding to your faith and the faith, it, it really is of vital importance. And I'm going to encourage people on Sundays to make an effort to come out on Wednesday nights too. And so be in prayer about that. The faith refers to the common salvation. So I want you to look back at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. So notice it says the common salvation, and then later it says the faith. Now what does it mean uh, to be the common salvation? Peter called the common salvation like Precious faith. Hold your place here and look at Second Peter. You can mark this Jude chapter three in your Bible, and we'll be looking at other portions of Scripture as well. Second Peter chapter one. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, do you see it? Like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we get the righteousness of God? Through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the fact, and especially when I'm leading people to the Lord, oftentimes when we go through the Romans road, we'll show them there's none righteous, no, not one. Right? But then the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 10 that we believe unto righteousness. And so we start out as being unrighteous, and the only way we can get righteousness is through believing in the person and work of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. And so it's so vital that we, we understand the, the beauty of salvation and the, the simplicity of salvation. But notice it's called like precious faith. So why is it called the common faith? Why is it called like faith? That's because everybody gets saved the same way. There's only one way to be saved. Uh, take your Bible and, and look at Romans chapter 1. Now, I know you know this like the back of your hand, but it's so important. If we're going to earnestly contend for the faith, we have to know these doctrines of our faith inside and out. And so we're talking about the common salvation before we get to the faith. And we understand that the faith is referring to the common salvation. So we have to earnestly contend. That word can earnestly contend speaks of agonizing struggle. <coughs> Think about that. Agonizing struggle. <coughs> When's the last time that you had an agonizing struggle for the faith? That's a good question. The truth is, the faith doesn't cost us a whole lot in America. Certainly salvation doesn't cost us a lot. It costs God everything. It costs us humility and faith. So how do we earnestly contend for the faith? Well, we're going to get to that in another day. But man, let me tell you, it's, it's time to stand up for the faith. 
Boy, Christians got to get out of the closet. We got we to take off the camouflage of worldliness. We got to stand up and stand out and be willing to speak up and speak out for the things of God. And sometimes it's a struggle. And sometimes it's agonizing struggle. And sometimes we have to earnestly contend. Sometimes it's difficult to stand up for the right doctrine. Sometimes it's difficult to do right whenever you're in the vice of the world and struggle and tribulation. But our faith must cost us something. And it doesn't cost us anything to get saved, but it'll cost us everything to live it like we should. It might cost us everything to keep the doctrine pure while everybody else is giving in to lies and deception. We know the craziness of this world. If you say things like men can't get pregnant, they'll, they'll cancel you and mock you and shame you in some circles. But you know why they can do that? Because the first time somebody said that, everybody around them didn't go, that's stupid. Amen. And the more people said, hmm, I wonder if that's true. Yeah, I guess it's possible. Yeah. And it grows and it grows and it grows. We're in the mess we're in because we were not, and, and, and we and people before us were not earnestly contending for the truths of God. And so it's always harder to go back and fix things than it is to keep it from being broken. Would you agree with that? Preventive maintenance is always cheaper than breakdown maintenance. Right? It's easier to change your oil than change your engine. It's cheaper to put air in the tire than buy a new one. And when, when we have gotten behind, Christians have failed in some of these areas, it's harder for those of us who have to shoulder the burden, but that doesn't mean we're, we don't have to shoulder the burden. God says earnestly contend. So that's for another time. But let's look at Romans chapter 1. We're talking about the common salvation. Romans chapter 1 and I love this verse, verse 16. I look at verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks, those were the smart people, and the barbarians, those were the not-so-smart people, the, the uncultured people, both to the wise and to the unwise, the educated, the uneducated. Verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why does he say for you that are at Rome also? Now, we understand Rome today is a stronghold of Roman Catholicism, right? Began in Rome. The Vatican is in Rome. Actually, the Vatican is considered its own nation. Wrap your brain around that. They have their own laws. They have their own banks. They have, it's, it's really crazy and creepy when you, you start diving into all that stuff. But imagine going as a missionary to Rome, preaching the truth of Christ in a place that's 99.9% Roman Catholic, and they're in the shadow of the Vatican. That's not an easy place to go. Well, Rome, the Roman Catholic Church hadn't started yet. It was started in 312 AD or 313 AD, depending on which timeline you follow. But you've got to understand that Caesar was in Rome, the head of the Roman Empire, and a lot of people forget that the Caesars were worshipped as gods. They were not just considered kings, they were considered deities. Think about that. 
So it wasn't just speaking against your king, it was speaking against a deity. And here the Apostle Paul said, I'm coming to Rome and I'm going to preach Jesus in the seat, the Roman capital, where not only the king is, but where he's worshipped as a god. See the boldness of Paul? But he was ready, and then verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is there to be ashamed of, folks? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to how many? Everyone. Everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Don't forget the Jews divided the world into two, two categories, Jew and Gentile. God's people and the heathen. Jew and everybody else. Well, God was telling the Jews, this isn't just a Jewish religion, this isn't just a Jewish salvation, it's for the Jews and for everybody else. And anybody that comes to God must come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 10. I love Romans chapter 10. Let's start in verse 9, just because the verses are so amazing. Well, I hope you don't, get, you don't get too used to this. I hope it doesn't get old to you because you use it going soul winning. These verses are absolutely amazing. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's the person of Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, that's the work of Christ, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto what? Righteousness. righteousness. We just talked about that. There's none righteous. Well, unless, those are, unless you believe, and then you can be righteous in the sight of God. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I don't know why we skip over verse 11, and a lot of times I don't whenever I'm winning someone to Christ. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What does that mean? You will never be sorry you believed in Jesus. You will never be sorry. There will never be a moment now or in eternity where you will say, man, I shouldn't have believed in Jesus. That's good news. For, why is that true? Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto, what's the next word? All that call upon Him. I don't believe in a limited atonement. I believe that Jesus will save anybody who calls upon Him. I don't believe Jesus just died for some people. I believe that Jesus tasted death for every man, like Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 tells us. Did you see that? The common salvation. In verse 13, just for good measure, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. just want you to marinate in that for a minute. Was there a time in your life that you called upon the name of the Lord and asked Him to save you? I want you to think about where you were. I want you to think about that moment. I want you to realize and remember that in that moment, God solved the biggest problem you'll ever have. And if that's true, then right now tonight, you can take a deep breath and whatever weight is upon you, whatever burden you are bearing, you can take a deep breath and say, God's got this. 
if he can save me from eternal damnation, he can help me with this. God can be trusted. Amen? Isn't that good news? And by the way, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I think that, that the application of that is also true for any time you believe God. You know, I can't look back at any time in my life that I have just trusted God and did what he told me to do. And I say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. But I can think back of a lot of times when I probably should have and, and think, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have taken that step of faith. And so we're talking about the faith. And the faith is referring to the common salvation. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Boy, Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Mark that down. Christ is all and in all. I like that. So we turn back to the book of Jude. And Jude reminds us of this common salvation. He said, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, Beloved, I started to write unto you. I was giving all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. And then he said, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. So it's not enough to just know and understand and believe the common salvation, but we have to contend for it. But notice he uses a different phrase here, the faith. The faith. The faith goes beyond the simple doctrine of saving faith. It includes more than the simple gospel. The faith refers to the whole system of truths that should be believed by Christians. The faith. Not your faith. That's the common salvation that you've made your own. The faith. The faith includes the whole system of truths to be believed by the Christian. What what should Christians believe? Well, Genesis 1-1 starts with creation. Do you know if you get Genesis 1-3 through wrong, then then nothing else matters? That's why Genesis 1-3 through are the most attacked chapters in the entire Word of God. And boy, Satan has masterfully stolen this thing called science. I preached a message a year or so ago about fake science and a science falsely so-called. Boy, there's, there's been a lot of things about over the years that have been called science. You know, it's not just vaccines and, and coronavirus and all these other things and, and t-shirts over your face and called a virus mask and all these other things that, that have where science has told us the wrong thing. Look at the history of psychiatry and believe. Take a look at what science has taught and how it's evolved over the years. You can look at almost, take a look at the simple medications that science tells you to take and how they've been wrong on so many medications. I remember years ago, I had torn my rotator cuff and they wanted to give me something called Vioxx. And I think they gave it to me and I maybe took one pill and 
And uh, for some reason, I think it was just the Lord, I ended up not taking it and taking something else. Then years later, I get this class action lawsuit about Vioxx, how it was causing heart attacks and all kinds of other things. And there was a class action lawsuit about how many people it had hurt. Now, there are some medicines that can help you, but have you learned that just because a scientist or a science tells you that something is, is right and true, that, that it may not be, you might have to use your little gray cells in, in, this, in this head and, and maybe do some logical thinking and, and use some common sense and different things? And well over 100 years ago, science was hijacked by this thing called the theory of evolution. You know, there are a lot of Christians today that will, will give in to evolution and say, well, God just used evolution to create the world. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that there was nothing and from nothing came everything. I don't believe that there was a primordial ooze and the ooze became sludge and the sludge became a single-celled something and the single-celled something became a multi-celled something, and that became a ladybug, and the ladybug became a donkey, and the donkey became a monkey, and the monkey became you. Now, that, that's a, a funny way of saying it, but ultimately, folks, that's, if I were to say that to you, you'd say that's ridiculous. Oh, but you've got to understand, billions and billions of years. I tell my kids all the time, you know, we'll be watching something or listening to something. They'll say, well, 160,000, 160 million years ago, you know, 3.4 billion years ago. And I tell my kids, when I was your age, it was millions of years. How many of you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it used to be millions of years. And then it was hundreds of millions of years. And now science has proven that this stuff couldn't happen in millions or hundreds of millions. And so now it's got to be billions. And one of my kids said the other day, I wonder when it's going to be trillions. <laughs> well, it may be, because they just give you some inestimable, unimaginable amount of time. Well, could it have happened? I, I guess it could have. But do you know how many people I witness to today that say, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution? It's a religion, folks. It's a replacement for God Almighty. If you get that wrong, nothing else matters. See, the faith is the whole system of truths that Christians should believe. The truths that we have been giving that, that make up the foundations of our faith. What about the deity of Christ? Folks, if you get that wrong, nothing else matters. If Jesus wasn't God, then he didn't die for you. He couldn't have. If Jesus wasn't perfect, then he couldn't die for you. He had to die for himself. What about the sacrificial death of Christ? The fact that Jesus died on the cross for you. What about the bodily resurrection? We preached a whole sermon on that just a few months ago. Folks, if there is no resurrection, there's no salvation. Do you see why Satan works so hard at these things? Because if you remove one pin, it all falls apart. What about the doctrine of the virgin birth? How did God become a man without being tainted by sin? The virgin birth. What about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection? We already talked about that. What about the inspired, preserved word of God? 
you, you might just be shocked by how many Christians believe that this isn't the Word of God. They will say it contains the Word of God, but it's not the Word of God. Well, dear friend, if, it, if part of it is and part of it isn't, then how do you know what's what? You know what happens? They pick out the parts they like, and they leave behind the parts they don't. Do you know why there's over 200 English versions of the Bible? Think about that. 200. Just to cause cause confusion. And a lot of Christians would believe, well, they're not all good, but let's say 50 of them are good. Take your pick between 50 of them. They're not all the same. They have to be at least 30% different to get a copyright. And we're just supposed to pick one? And sometimes people will say, well, the, this English is archaic. Why, why can't we just update the language? Well, there's a real good reason. Number one, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You might just have to learn 30 or so vocabulary words rather than meddle with the Word of God. And there's a second very important reason. I don't trust you to change it. I don't trust you. Why would you allow a guy that had four semesters of Greek in a mediocre seminary to change the Word of God? Over almost 60 translators that were some of the smartest, most proficient people in the languages that the world has ever known brought together supernaturally under one roof to translate the precious Word of God into the King James Bible. Folks, I don't trust them! If you don't have the Word of God, folks, then how in the world can you trust anything? And see, these are just a few of the things that comprise the faith. We have to fight for the Bible. We have to fight for creation. We have to fight for the doctrine of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the sacrificial death, bodily resurrection, virgin birth, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. All of these things are vital. Now, it's important that I make a distinction here. A sinner doesn't need to know all of these doctrines to be born again. It's it's important that you understand that. Because we don't want to corrupt the simplicity of salvation. The only thing you have to know in order to be saved is that you're a sinner and you have the wrath of God upon you, but God loved you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins was buried and rose again, and if you trust Him with your heart to save you, He'll do it. That's all you need to know. That's about all I knew when I got saved. So a sinner doesn't need to know all these doctrines to be born again. But don't miss this. If any of these doctrines are removed the entire doctrine of salvation falls apart. And we who are saved 
are the guardians of the gospel. We're the ones who God has said, you protect the faith. Make sure nobody meddles with, corrupts, steals, counterfeits the doctrines that make salvation possible and that comprise the faith. There's a lot more we can say about that, but we're going to stop there. The faith. The faith. In coming weeks, we'll talk about the expectations of the faith. You know, there's more to salvation than being saved. But we're also going to talk a little bit more about the protection of the faith. There's four things that we are called to protect the faith from, four different types of people and errors. And it's important that we understand that and identify those. Uh, And then there's seven things that we're supposed to do in relation to the faith. This is why I never get through a series, all right? Because I start with thinking my original intention was I'm going to just preach a simple sermon tonight on the faith. But now I I, I study for one thing, and I've got like a a 15-part series here that I won't make it that long. Because I'm really, and this isn't even what I want to teach. And so, uh, but we're just trying to follow the Lord. But I also want you just to be thrilled about the depth of God's Word. We will study our entire lives and only scratch the surface of the Bible. And I'll tell you, you may think the Bible's boring. But whenever you get into it, boy, it's hard to get out of it. My kids are always, I'm, I'm studying, and I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches on, on a sermon. They're like, Dad, you know what time it is? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, but just one more thing. And uh, Dad, you know, I, I know, just hold on, we're going we're gonna to do this. And uh, Dad, I get stuck in it because it's so good. It's like a meal that you just don't want to stop eating, and you have to be ripped from the table This Bible is a wonderful book, and I want you to love it and uh, live it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth, for the the word that we've heard tonight. Help us to know what the faith is. Help us to be willing to fight for it, to know how to fight for it. And Lord, that... You'd give me the insight to know what to say on on what messages. And Lord, I really pray that you'd give our church, and not just the ones here, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but Lord, all the folks that are affiliated with Curtis Corner Baptist Church members and those who visit and come, even semi-occasionally, Lord, I pray you'd give us all a thirst for the Word of God. And as newborn babes, to desire the sincere milk and to taste its sweetness.